welcome back to Why This Film, the podcast where we reach back into your childhood, pluck out a movie, give it a rewatch, and have a chat about it. I'm Emily Slade, and welcome back. You watched it so many times before, and now you're gonna watch it again. But it's been so many years since you last saw it, and now you show it to your friends, and they're like, What? What am I watching? Why? The- what? Why? Why this film? And I'm joined today by Drew from the Who and Company podcast. Hello. Hello. Welcome, welcome. Thank you, thank you. I'm uh, very happy to be here. Yay, very happy to have you because your chosen movie is 1982's The Flight of Dragons, the IMDb breakdown. A young Boston writer goes back in time into an era where wizards and dragons reign and science is just barely known. Why this film? Why this film? This is one of uh, this is one of my favorite films as a child, uh, especially animated films. And I, I was trying to imagine just the just kind of the dearth of 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 animated films that, that we had that children have today. Like there's so or sorry the the dearth I had and the glut they have today. And I was just kind of looking back at what was available, and this wasn't even a popular film then in in the 80s it was a hard one to come by yeah. uh i think i i think the video store that i got it from when i first discovered it in probably 82 83 was the only video store that that had copies and so it was one of those films where i would rent it a lot as a kid for sleepovers because my friends hadn't seen it and this was everything that i wanted because it was a nerdy dude who liked let's face it dungeons and dragons uh going back in in time to to face dungeons and dragons and uh you know, that was yeah <laughs> literally but he was also a science nerd and i was very much a science nerd who was also a, a mythology nerd as well so it was sort of my uh, everything that i loved at that time and even let's face it now um put together in a 90 minute film with a a, a soundtrack i don't want to say a good soundtrack but it had a soundtrack would stretch to say a good soundtrack you've got don mclean at the beginning there right, right? i know i know <laughs> i know i know and and it's and in the animation of this is for 1982 is not bad i mean it's gorgeous um, it's yeah, really lovely because it's, it's like japanese isn't it it is and that's the thing is it, it it's definitely and this is in many ways my first japanese film I think you know this is this is pre my neighbor Totoro by mm-hmm. a couple of years and and so this form of animation this is before we were getting all of our toys animated into movies yeah. and so to have something like this which is the the stuff that I was interested in was really very cool but the animation style was very different from everything that I was getting on my local television station for my Saturday morning cartoons or mm. my after school programming which was mainly Hanna Barbera and Disney related products, and yeah. so this was this was fairly unique. But it doesn't have that anime style, you know. It's it's definitely a good yeah. blending of what would be an American cinema, sort of almost like a Don Bluth kind of. Uh, well, you no, know, it's it, you know uh, Rankin and Bass, a la The Hobbit from a couple of years further. But then there were some other uh, effects that you would see in popular um, anime. Yeah. Uh, from the time period and currently. Like a strong mixture of East and West. Sort of like Avatar The Last Airbender, but a lot more like old, and by old I mean like 70s and 80s 
um, Japanese because it really reminded me of, and so does The Last Unicorn, which is also Rankin and Bass, um, of uh, the 1975 Little Mermaid that uh, right. a bunch of us randomly had. And um, I'm obsessed with it. And it, this animation style really reminded me of that. So instantly I was like completely comfortable with it. But now you've pointed it out, you're absolutely right. It's not really like anything that's coming out of the Disney studio at this time. Um, and I mean, this was made for TV. So like even with the lower budget TV animation that's coming out, it's still unique. And I think that really works because I think the subject matter is so unique. I refused to look up anything really about this before I went into it. And I was blown away with how imaginative and interesting and individual it was the like main character the like person that's coming in from the other world is not a child he's like 30 he's like 30 he's right like, he's like yeah he's like an author who's like 30 he's a man child i mean right? i think it's important to say he's essentially he's essentially a man child which is great because you know yeah but like not obnoxious just like just like really enthusiastic and i think i was getting that because i was like insistent on being on his side and a, a more cynical viewer might be like ew don't give him any rewards gross like oh grow up but like it's not and it was really refreshing to have an adult because adventures never happen to adults you either get it when you're 11 or you just need to forget about it like you never reach in fantasia again you can't reach narnia again susan um you can't like do you know what i mean like it doesn't happen when you hit that age but he and I think it's really lovely because it's like he was being rewarded for holding out and believing for so long whilst also having this massive interest in literal science, which is mm -hmm. another reason this plot is so interesting because it's it's something that I think I've always in my head been like, wouldn't that be fun? And then I've been like, could never work. And this does that. It, mel it meshes, melds, merges, blills. the like proper D&D... &D princesses knights dragons goblins with like <laughs> i suddenly remembered that this theorem exists and therefore i've quit the magic because science and it's like but they make it work they don't make it um did you find that did you find that viewing it as an adult that you could appreciate the mixture of science and magic or were you a bit more like ha like i don't know aware of it and like mm, why didn't that happen earlier or like why is this able to exist at the same time does that make sense yeah and i think i think they really address this in, in in possibly the most clever way because you take a man of science right who who is out of time but loves this world that he's being projected into so he's there's no regret it's like, oh, you're a wizard. You're shrinking me down and putting me in your game board. Oh, we're riding magical dice into the land of fairies. Perfect. Yes, let's let's do this. But we then don't watch him inhabit this world because almost immediately he melds with the dragon. So we don't even see this skinny white guy running around. He's he's a he's he's a dragon with John Ritter's voice. Which come on, you know, right there then and there is perfect. Um, but. He is a man of science struggling to become one with magic, but it's his separation from that world that allows him to engage the magic, which I think is very cool. It's and it, it, really I think cool. the balance is really quite excellent. And you, you mentioned something early on, and we should probably really stress this. I don't think I recognized as a child that this was a made-for-TV movie 
even though there are commercial breaks. Yeah. This time watching it, it's probably been about five or six years since I, I have 13, we have 13 godchildren. And, and I know at some point in the last five or six years, I, I, I've shown this to some of my godkids and they were very bored with it oh. uh, because it's, it's not the narrative that we're used yeah. to. Yeah. It's very it's, much a, a It's very part of its odd. Time. It's not really like anything I've seen before structurally. But mm-hmm. carry on. Well, it's a quest narrative. I mean, it's a Ooh. quest narrative, but it's very much a video game quest narrative, which yeah. is small challenge, small challenge, big, um, you know, big boss, small challenge, small challenge, bigger boss, small challenge, small challenge, bigger boss, yeah. small challenge, small challenge, biggest boss, the end. And yeah. it really feels like you're you're kind of playing a video game in that same way that like Nintendos and Ataris were really kind of popular at that point in time. Um, it's very loosely based on the book. I've never bothered reading the book, even though I've I've loved this. You know, I've read. Uh, you you mentioned the Last Unicorn, which was an, another film that was so influential on me. And I think of the two films, I liked this one better. Um, one Dragons, uh, <laughs> two less singing. Um, I think um, as a kid, this really felt like I always wanted to when playing Dungeons and Dragons create this this group. Uh-huh. You know, they. I, I love the fact that it's like, who's going to join our team? Well, we've got our, we've got our Sir Neville Smythe. You know, this this knight who's who's you know probably much older than he really should be oh able to do God. fighting in, in a full suit of armor. But you've also got a wolf and an archer and some dragons. It does You can't do that in an actual game of Dungeons and Dragons, yeah. or at least not in Dungeons and Dragons. You can do another role playing games because they're better ones out there. But um, you know, it was, but it, it very much felt like a game mm-hmm. that they were playing a game and, and you know I, I dug I dug that quite a bit it's really really cool there's so much to go into so the book that it's based on and I completely understand why you wouldn't go for it because I love DreamWorks's Prince of Egypt but I'm not gonna go right. and read the Bible and basically <laughs> it's the same it's like the Flight of Dragons is a fictional uh, like mock you uh biography if you will of like pseudoscience it's like this person has read the tales of earthsea and is like cool um i'm gonna write a book about how dragons fly and like the science Mm -hmm. behind dragons and how they work and what they do and how they exist etc like you would read a book about i don't know jaguars or something i don't know there's a book about dragons out there and um and so yeah, that sounds really like boring to a child because it's like science. It's like a science book. Um, but what's fascinating is the author of the book then is the main character of the movie, which is utterly bizarre. It's like, yeah, it's just really weird. Um, but really, really cool and interesting and different, completely different. And The Flight of Dragons is a book within the film and he's writing the book. Um... But then Which it, gives us that amazing, that amazing moment where we have the library of unfinished books yes! come on oh as God. someone who has who who has sat in front of a computer to write, and I, I'm sure you're aware of this feeling. Wouldn't it be nice to know that you actually finished <laughs> yes. that book that you were working on or that script? Literally. Um, yeah, the idea and and the fact that that library is could fit in one room is ridiculous yeah, because yeah. <laughs> the library of unfinished books is its own magical realm. Literally. Uh, you know, as, as a librarian, I can tell you <laughs> that it would take a lot more than that, but it's, so, it's just one tiny moment of brilliant, tiny moments in this film. Um, so that's 
the book that it's based on and then to sort of flesh out the sort of narrative they've taken from a, a couple of other books as well that are more sort of George and the Dragon type things. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. I, uh, yeah, I kind of missed the singing. I Like, The Last Unicorn has a lot of singing in it and this one doesn't really. But um, it, it's got a great theme tune because all Rankin and Bass do. It's got yeah. a great theme tune. Um, and... It, it also felt very Lord of the Rings. It, it mm-hmm. felt like it drew... But then I guess any fantasy does because J.R.R. Tolkien took everything that existed re-fantasy at that time and stuck it all in one book. So anything's going to feel Lord of the Rings. Um, but it takes a very specific part out of the Lord of the Rings. And so when you have Saruman, who is in a way the, the rejection of magic and the em- embracing technology, right? So the mm-hmm. idea is you're tearing down the forest using modern equipment and building these armies yeah. um, in the way that one day man will build an army, you know? And they even reference like this, this idea that Omadon is going to teach humanity to build the atomic bomb to mm-hmm. kill one another, because that's how you defeat the thing that is trying to defeat evil is you get it to kill itself. Mm-hmm. But there's that idea of, you know, that we see in the two towers where they're stripping the forest and, and, we're seeing them build machineries and the goblins are working on that. Yeah. That's very much what they're taking from that, which yeah. is the idea that there's progress is moving away from a magical realm. And what um, Carolinas and, and the other brothers want to do is they want to create a little pocket dimension where magic can still exist mm-hmm. in essentially as inspiration for humanity so that people like Peter will be inspired to write books like Flight of Dragons, which is, it's very circular, right? Because you, you have very. to get to a limpid pool of time in order to get all this to work. Yeah. So. Yeah, that that very hardcore industry versus nature, which we've sort of seen right. countless times in a lot of fantasy. Um, the villain will often, like, have a computer, whereas the good guy will have, like, a wand made out of a tree or whatever. So we've seen it a lot. And I was quite surprised with the ending where, yeah, their main outcome was like, cool, well, we'll just the realm of magic under a little bubble um and i was like wait what i thought we like saved it and then we would just like carry on like this and they were like no 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 it's now like he can never come back he can never visit ever again none of humanity can except for the length of a dream or the flash of inspiration and that's about when i started crying um (laughs) i was like i'm sorry what? Why did you have to do this to me? I was, I mean, I, I, that wasn't the, where I started crying. That's where I like continued crying harder because up until that point, they'd done some bullshit with my emotions anyway. But that <laughs> really got me as like a human person. I was like, fucking hell, at least Bastion can like return to Fantasia and like do some shit before he like goes back to being bullied. You're telling me that like, this is just off limits now and you did what you came out to do and that was to just save it for the smallest amount oh god it just it's really hard as an adult to accept that as like a happy ending <laughs> well tie it into a conversation we were having before we started recording it, there's it's very doctor Whoy. it's very timey-wimey in that the fact mm-hmm. that if if he had succeeded and created this land and allowed it to co-mingle then where's my where's my magic 
pony, right? Like, where's my unicorns? Where's my everything? They don't exist. Why don't they exist? Well, they exist in books. That's how we can go into it. So I feel like in many ways, it's telling children that you're, you're still allowed to be creative. Your, your love of science, this is what I took from it. My love of science could still coexist with my love of fantasy because that realm existed in the past and still maintains its existence because I think about it, because I dream about it, because we have movies that that show stuff like this, and that's has it, it in itself is actually quite a beautiful message mm. because it's 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 not lost to us. Yeah, um, we, we can just only... can't interact it in the yeah. same way, a physical way, you know, yeah. and, and nor would we ever be able to. And, and it's, it's sort of a way for it feels like that argument where kids are like. Well, well, why don't we have unicorns now? And like, well, they didn't make it on the ark fast yeah. enough. Sorry, yeah. kids. You know, that's a that's a bit of a bummer, but uh, you know, it, it, it gives you an idea that oh, they exist. Yeah, they're just they're just not they're in just a place that we can get to them. Elsewhere. Yeah, it's it's a very powerful message. It's a very beautiful message. I was just super bummed out because I was expecting, <laughs> but then I shouldn't have expected that because the the last unicorn also ends with quite a bittersweet note. Right. Which, again, is a really lovely difference from uh, what the Disney company were putting out a lot and um, really important for kids. I, I always think that kids' movies should be fucking sad and horrifying. Like, it's very important that they are. I agree. And I am of that age where everything that was coming out at the time was meant specifically to scar children. Yeah. I mean, children <laughs> were not allowed to come out of the theater... Um, Innocent okay. after yeah. after yeah. a child. So I had never done this before, but today I went ahead and I just looked at the history of animation for the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Just to look at what was coming out around the same time. So Rankin and Bass had already come up with the, the Lord of the Rings and the Return of the King. right? Mm-hmm. So those were the first ones. And of course, we're aware of uh, The Last Unicorn. Um, Disney at this time, the year before, put out Fox and the Hound, which is Traumatic. actually... A really traumatic film. Um, so we got Flight of Unicorns. Last uh, uh, Flight of Unicorns. <laughs> I would Sorry. watch that. Maybe Flight of Pegasus. I would too. It would be really <laughs> difficult. It would be you know straight down and probably from a plane. Um, so here's what we get. So the we get Return of the King in the eighties, uh, nineteen eighty, eighty one Fox and the Hound, eighty one Heavy Metal the movie, not one that I saw as a child. Uh, Flight of Dragons, Last Unicorn. 1982, Secret of Nim. Oh my god, yeah. Don Bluth is like, hello, wake up, <laughs> <Don> Bluth- kids. <laughs> this, is, this is horrifying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Every All single of scene my... of this movie is going to give you nightmares. <laughs> Absolutely. You're going to be afraid of ma- owls forever now. <laughs> owls, mice, um, rats, you name it. Like, then, uh, then we move into Disney's 1985, The Black, the Black Cauldron. Cauldron. Right? John Hurt How- in his greatest role. Oh. where they were like maybe we should cut the decomposing bodies and someone was like we'll keep a little bit of it in <laughs> yeah yeah uh, i remember i i remember going to see that in the theaters i mean that oh, that's nice. a very very strong memory i remember most of that day because after that moment of coming that film the rest of the day following that is is a blur because yeah. it was just it so just terrifying and i didn't watch it again for 20 years yeah. you know, it, it, <laughs> yeah, i haven't even read the books it was just like kind of no it, it, it hooked too in. much and then immediately following this there's this massive shift in how animation works because everything else are animated films to sell toys um uh. I'm, i was looking at these movies that were coming out in the theaters transformers the movie um uh, Care Bears the movie, Rainbow Bright the movie. We get 
The Great Mouse Detective, an American tale, because mice, singing mice are super popular at that point in time. Um, but then My Little Pony. Uh, so we have like, yeah. everything seems to be geared at selling toys mm-hmm. up and immediately after this point. And then, and then movie, animation movies change. I mean, it really because becomes about the merchandising afterwards, you know, and not yeah. the art of the actual creation. I mean, I'm not saying that, I mean, like I have many friends who are animators and I know they put their heart and souls into mm. putting this stuff together. But this is also prior to Disney's golden golden age or yeah, whatever well, the new golden the age is, right? Because Little Mermaids. Yeah, the Renaissance. Yeah. But, um, so, yeah. Know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, like uh, I've watched a lot of things about how the integration of toys and TV shows and movies uh, very big in the 80s where they were like, oh, we'll do this because like we can sell shit. And like everyone was trying to get in with the fast food restaurants, which were becoming bigger and tying in their toys to it and getting contracts with them and stuff. So that's really interesting that it went from such a dark, dark place. And if you consider the first ever animated movie was Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, which you revisit that and tell me it's not scary like it's terrifying do you know what this is this is something this is such a nerd thing that i i I, are you aware of what disney was going to do before they decided to do snow white and the seven dwarves no you can go on youtube tonight and you can watch the animation of this before they settled on snow white they were going to do john carter of mars they were going to do a princess of mars um and you they they got the rights to it. They started working on the animation for it. It was all set. That was Disney's. was going to launch with Pulp Adventure for Boys, essentially. Oh. And something fell through. I don't remember if it was the um, the Burroughs household or uh, the estate decided against it. But that got scrapped. And they decided to go with... Um, copyright I think they lost free. a lot of money on copyright-free fairy tales. And so that was the easy way of doing it. They could just go with something that everyone knew but they could put their own spin on without having to worry about it. And that's essentially the failure of John Carter 70 years ago. It brought us, brought us Disney, the success of Disney. I never knew that. I'm a little bit ashamed and very intrigued because of course, what, 45 years later, they do do John Carter and it's their biggest box office flop. Oh my god! And they were going to ride the whole company on it. Yes, yeah. that's yeah, yeah, yeah. that's insane. Just as a member of, if I was a member of the Disney Corporation when they were doing the new John Carter, I would be like, "This has to be fucking banging," because the whole company historically was going to ride on this. And if we screw this up, like we are going to be a laughing stock. And they're not, obviously, because no one knows that fact. But like. <clears throat> That's well, got so many layers to it. I'm, my mind is blown. As someone who thinks that the new John Connor is banging, uh, I love that oh, film with all my heart nice. because I was raised on those stories. Yeah. Um, I've, there's a really good book called um, John Carter and the Gods of Hollywood. Uh, it talks about why the film failed. Oh my God, I'm um, read that. that there was some, there's some switchovers. Basically, it was like, you know, the old boss left and the new boss came in and the new boss is like, well, I can't let my first film be a success because it's his work. And so they they didn't know how to market it and they there was a royal screw-ups one. Like, the whole point of it is it was on John Carter's 100th anniversary. Why not go, hey, do you guys like Star Wars? Because Star Wars stole everything they liked from John <laughs> Carter. Hey, do you like this? Because, and like, Disney, like, 
they really should have brought in the idea of a hundred years of the making, you know, a hundred years of the making, a thousand years in the future kind of a thing. Anyway, that's a totally different discussion. Yeah. Yeah. Tangent. We'll come back to John Carter because that's fascinating. Um, (laughs) The amount of like Greek references in this as well. We're not just in like a D place. We were going to all the brothers. So there's Carolinas. Carolinas, you got it. Carolinas. Carolinas, who is a older, crusty elf, right? Like, so he's clearly the oldest yeah. brother of the group, right? And it's, I think the representation in this is very weird because you were talking about, like, very weird. yes, we have an adventure of an adult, but this is still a movie that takes place, uh, it was made in the 80s, so it's, it's going to take a number of years to put together. So let's say late 70s, early 80s. You know, you're going to expect a lot of white people and, and almost exclusively white people, but that's not the case. And I don't know not if you think all. whether or not it should have been or well, <laughs> because the representation the is a little a little questionable yeah. for, for At a glance, the four brothers get together and you're like Cool. We got Coriolanus, who's like uh Carolinus, sorry, Coriolanus is Shakespeare. Um <laughs> Who's, like, old troll man. Who is, like, the white man. But, like, a troll man. Like, old. He's old. Um, and then you've got... What's the name of the other ones? So, Solaris is the um, the brother of the sea and the, the stars. Who's the super intense black man. Yeah, um, yes. Who is, like, is... like wild-eyed and gets really passionate really quickly about stuff. And not played by a black man? Is that correct? Because they hide... I think that turns out to be the case. Yeah, because his his voice is sort of kept a secret for a while. His um, voice is kept a secret. Yeah, so he... he um, um, I didn't know anything about this until, like, yesterday, and I was looking, and it's like, his voice was kept off of the credits for years yeah. until... Uh, and I, I was like, wow, that's interesting, but I don't... I don't know the significance of it. I was no. like, surely they didn't take his keep his voice off of it because he's black. Oh no, it's it's because he's not. Oh yeah. okay. But then also, Ooh. I can't imagine that they would be aware enough to know that that was a bad thing. Do you know what I mean? No. Um, interestingly, then you've got James L. Jones, who is black, playing who is black Omadon, beautifully. Who's like beautifully. just just evil. He's just evil. Like, he oh. looks evil. It like They were like, mm, the one of the ocean. And I was like, beautiful. Uh, and his, is he the one that has the Lunarian dragon? Yeah, he is. He has Lunarian as the dragon, which is the, like, pink one. And I was a pink dragon. I literally put, like, Lunarian heart and dedicated, like, a whole space for it. Because I was like, that's my favorite dragon. And then we, like, never see Lunarian again. Never see it again. And I was like, fuck. Um, and then we go over to, like... Question, really questionable land, which I... <laughs> Lotajal, who is, yeah, you know... Voiced by uh, Don Messick, um, who is not of Asian descent at all. No, no. Um, and, you know, you, you can imagine what he looks like. We're in the 80s, and this man is meant to be oriental. So you know yeah. what he looks like. Um, right. And, that's and he's wearing yellow. And he's wearing yellow. And it's not gold, it's yellow. And this is the um, thing. Like, if they had done this properly, this would be really interesting representation because it would sort of be, again, like Avatar The Last Airbender where you're representing the globe through these brothers. Right. And 
um, through their dragons as well. That would have been really fucking cool. But no, they sort of half-assed it and they were like, that'd be yeah. fun! And then didn't think anything else through. So you're just there going, mm, sometimes diversity is not a good thing if you're doing a fuck it up. Um, so that's a shame. Well, Solaris is also supposed to be um, Arabic. He, he is a African-Arabic sort of a conglomerate where his style of dress could potentially be Northern African dress um, yeah. it, closer to Egypt's kind of a, the, you know. But I don't think anyone Googled anything extensively. I think they glanced no. at something and was like, that's cute, let's do that. And didn't think of any implications that may arise from that because nobody cares. I'm fully aware that as a white man, when I say this, it's, you know, you it, it could come off in the wrong way, but um, it could have been, considering the time, much worse. I think it's tone deaf, but not... Um, it's not overtly offensive in the way that racial stereotyping could be. I don't know that we're in a position to sort of yeah. define its offensibility, if that's 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 true. Sense. That is true. Um, but I know what you're saying. Like we right. have seen before this, you know, horrific, 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 like openly racist pieces of animation and this looks like it's not trying to offend anyone right by just yes there i think that's ignorant and by just not thinking things through or caring enough to think things through they it it, it suffers because you're looking at it and you're like well this isn't great like i mean it may not be the faceless people that put up the tents at the beginning of dumbo but it's still not great right um, so yeah and i think actually Without mentioning it, Dumbo was exactly what I was thinking of, which is like one of those things where it's like, that is, That's you know. bad. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I, I you know, they grew have... up watching that stuff on television. Yeah. You know, I, I remember when Tom and Jerry's nanny was a just, mammy, right? And like, it's just, just yeah. they, they weren't even, and they eventually, by the 90s, were hiding that fact. You know, yeah. I think they made her into a really bad Irish, like a bad Irish voice. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. racism in animation is its own it's a whole topic thing. that we are not yeah. qualified to talk about. Um, but interesting <laughs> to point out, and I'm glad you did bring it up because it it was a, a vague distraction for me that I was like, oh. um, yeah. On the other side of that coin, <laughs> this movie does not pass the Bechdel test. It doesn't even try. No. It has the opportunity. Oh my god! To, it's so bad. And it and it's very, you know, it, I was watching it and I started like scribbling on another piece of paper. I was like, women in fantasy. And I started doing like my own little side research to be like, this needs to be an essay somewhere. And of course, there's a million essays about it. And you can argue that everything stems from Lord of the Rings and the archetypes that are put forward, re-women in that and how there are only certain tropes within fantasy and the women for some reason have to stay to their gendered assignments and you'll always have the warrior woman and the princess and that's basically what we have here i was shocked that there was more than one woman in this movie i didn't see her coming i, um, I was she's too, in it for and, five and minutes they, but <laughs> and they made a point too which is like oh good shot good man oh yeah. oh you know the reveal is is definitely made specifically for yeah, uh, it's very yeah. i am no man kind of thing yes. um but yeah and like immediately immediately it's like i'm in love with you and we're going to marry for but so the two women we should probably actually talk about what we're talking about um so people aren't like what the hell are they talking about <laughs> <laughs> so the two women that are in this movie 
are the Princess Melisande, who is, as you would expect, she looks like the Little Mermaid from the 1975 Japanese animation. And she has very, very, very long blonde hair. She has little layer buns under her long blonde hair. She has a very lovely, long, like, reddish-pink dress. And she talks like this all the time. And she's ever so soft and ever so sensitive. And she's just, I don't, she's not from the South. I don't know why I'm doing that. But like, she's just your classic princess. Now, she does get to do a lot more than I thought she was going to get to do. She does it unconscious, but that's fine. Um, And then the other one, about an hour and 10 minutes into this hour and a half movie, we get introduced to Danielle, who again is like, she dresses like Robin Hood, which I thought was actually really nice. But she's got this like lot, I mean, to be fair, I don't know what I'm talking about. I loved her character design. She has like long Merida hair, it's like flaming orange. She dresses like Robin Hood. She's brilliant with a bow. She's not like a dick about it. She's really nice. She's like, welcome to the forest. Like these are these people, like what's up, let's go. Like we should go to this bar, I know the guy or whatever. She's like really cool. But of course this knight who I really liked, but then he, made the fatal mistake of literally being like, the first time I ever met the Princess Melisande, I fell instantly in love with her. And I vowed that I would marry her when she became of age, of course, because he first meets Princess Melisande when he is like 39 and she is about seven. Um, And it's fucking creepy as shit so then he meets um danielle who's still like 30 years his junior and he's like you've got a vagina i'm single i'm in love with you now and i did Uh, it's important it's just like oh clearly the woman i wanted to marry is no longer available yeah therefore now i'm interested in you Yeah, because they has the whole conversation where he's like, oh, but I fancied the Princess Melisande and I thought she fancied me back. And he's like, oh, that's a shame. At least there wasn't, you know, this is the thing when these kind of things happen in this time frame because you, you, even though it's trash, you know that that was just the done thing and no one was giving anyone a voice that was going to ever break that mold or no one had the audacity to break that mold. So it's sort of inevitable that it was all gonna happen. It's just a real fucking shame and it is really like annoying when you're watching it. But at least they didn't fight for her. At least they didn't stop being friends because of it. At least like he accepted it and moved on immediately to the next woman that he's laid eyes on. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Um, It's a hundred percent true. So it's just all a bit sort of, to be expected, read the women in this movie, which was a massive shame because I was like, we're in such an interesting space imaginatively and such a refreshing story that we really could have pushed the boat out with our women a little bit, but we didn't. We played it safe and we've got A. Owen and we've got Arwen and like, that's that. Um, but then design This, nice. again... They're they're not trying to hide the fact yeah. that they are just ripping off. I mean, what was the last movie you made? Oh, we made Return of the King. <laughs> yeah. You know what would be really nice? That did a, made a lot of money for us. Let's just do another version of that. Let's cool. That. Our, it makes our, sense. Our... I get it. I do. Like, not everyone can be the chain-breaking, glass-ceiling-smashing, like, you know, 
progressive woman in film thing that I want it to be, especially in like 1982 or whenever this was. But um, it was, it's the, li- it's the little things that always get me up and where is it? Where he was like, well, we've got this guy and we've got that guy. Um, uh, we need another person for our quest because those are the rules. Melisande is obviously out of the question. I was like, right. why? Right. <laughs> why? No, sorry, go back. Like, why? He's like, obviously, she's out of the question. So we, so who are we going to have? Who are we going to have? We're going to have to literally summon another person from another realm because we can't possibly use this woman. But they don't even explain why. And, like, we all know why. It's because you're all fucking sexist. But, like, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. She, As I say, she was a lot more involved than I thought she was going to be. But, um, and then, of course, he does turn up and he's like, I made her, I I made her everything I ever desired in a woman. It's like, "Mm, you really, you really put some thought into that, didn't you? She's tall, hot, and practically mute. Well done, you. Yeah, I physically cringed watching this uh, the other night, <laughs> thinking about how uh, what you would th- what you think uh, when it was happening. Yeah, um, and it's just because there's no flight of the dragons with women. You could argue the last unicorn, but when she becomes well, the, human, she's as bad as Melisande. Like, but you still get Molly in the last Molly. unicorn, and Molly, and Molly is, is amazing, fantastic. Um, yeah, but again, like of all the characters in that movie. And I know it's based on a book. It's that. It's I think it's that that always annoys me because sure, give me my Arwen and give me my Aowen. But how about we make the cast 50-50 so we have the opportunity to have a Pippin who's a woman and uh, Gandalf who's a woman and uh, Tom Bombadil who's a woman and just like, just give us the opportunity to have shit female characters and good female characters and feisty female characters and sensitive female characters. Just give us enough female characters so you can, you don't have to stem all of like the like woman. Like that is the woman. Right. What's your character? Oh, I'm the woman. I'm the woman. Like that's not a character. I'm I'm sorry. I'm the princess. Yeah. Which is, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there's this, <laughs> we've essentially discussed the entirety of the movie, except for what happens, like what happens in it, which is yeah. they go on a quest, they fight some mythical stuff, and then they fight some more mythical stuff. And then everybody except for our main character dies. They die. <laughs> they die. Everybody dies. Which is, everyone dies. And then he defeats it by reciting different branches of science, which includes sociology, I would find out. I was very excited about that. I didn't remember that from the first time I watched it. It was really um, fun. I did not see everybody dying. Um, no. I, like, it was happening, and I was like, huh. And then Danielle died, and I was like, hey! There's only and two of And he killed the them. child character. Yeah. You know, you've got you've got your little your little halfling, your hobbit, who yeah. who gets crushed pretty quickly. I mean, there you know, it shows you what happens when you fight a dragon, right? Some, it felt s- realistic. It's yeah. like that dragon that sacrifices his life. That again, I didn't see coming because at the first half of the movie, um, which we haven't really talked about, is that um, Gorbash, who is the dragon that belongs to Car- Carolinus, uh, gets mixed with. Peter, and so it's Peter's voice coming out of the... Sh- and so that's how Peter gets to know the book, because he 
figures out how to be a dragon because he's taught by this other dragon. And I did not, again, see that coming. The front cover is him riding on the back of the dragon. And I was like, I see where this is going. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, he is the dragon now. And Gorbash, I guess, is just like slipped into the back of his memory, Bly Manor style. He's sleeping. Like, sleeping. He's, he's essentially, yeah. So his consciousness is asleep. Um, it just, yeah. It basically, it's it's his brain in, in the dragon's body. Which was so cool. I was like, I don't think I've ever... I never saw it coming. I've never yeah. experienced anything like this before. This is really fun. And then it was just fascinating for them to be like, so you eat the limestone and that mixes... I think I wrote it down. Like, they have a legitimate, like, thing. How you are a dragon where it's like oh god where is it it's like you you eat the limestone and it mixes with something and it makes hydrogen and that's how you fly and then like a hot air balloon you have to keep like spitting fire and and gas to like lower yourself and keep yourself afloat and and that all was just fascinating i was like this is really fucking cool like this is just really fun yeah and again as a pedant little science kid who loved dragons this made so much sense yeah. to me because it was like, oh, this is how this works. I can, I can, you know, it's not just dragons are magic and that's what happens. This is explained. And, and I think it really set me on this path where I wanted to get scientific explanations for everything that was yeah, fantastical, which is a bummer because it really kind of loses the love of it, it's magic for the sake of magic. But, but it's fine. But there's it, still it, magic for the sake of magic. It's not exclusive. Yeah, yeah. Like in the whole world, there's still magic for the sake of magic. It's just that these are physical beings and this is how they function. Like it's still, you know, it's like in True Blood where he's like, Suki, just because you know how electricity works doesn't mean it's not magic. And she's like, shut the fuck up. But um, <laughs> it's that. It's like, oh, here we go. Calcium plus stomach acid equals hydrogen. I was like, ah, maths and science and magic. I love it. Um, you can do the same thing by taking strips of aluminum foil and dropping it in uh, Drano and uh, covering it. But, you know, don't do this indoors because it <laughs> will create hydrogen gas and that is entirely uh, very explosive. Is so, that the same you know, as putting you... a Mento in Coca-Cola? Uh, no, uh, no. You're, you're getting carbonated <laughs> air at that point in time. But uh, no, uh, this, is, it's a, uh, this is far more deadly. Science. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I had, growing up, um, I had this movie and I also had something called the Anarchist Cookbook, which allowed me to make very dangerous experiments, which I used as a child. And oh my I'm God. really lucky to have all my fingers. Yeah, um, <laughs> oh boy. I was just searching for a way to make fireballs, honestly. That's, um, That's understandable. I would just pick up sticks and just will things to happen. Yeah. Um, manifestation at a young age. Um, but yeah. Just to jump back to these brothers, um, the C1 mentions Neptune. So it's not like these brothers are the Greek gods themselves. It's more that they coexist, similar, I felt, to the wizards in Lord of the Rings, where you got the blue ones and the brown one and the white one and the gray one and kind of thing. And so I thought that was really interesting, how we have a mixture of these mythological things together um and then of course they cut to james l jones castle and it's like a lightning crash and like a huge black like maleficent lives there basically and then you go in and he's like got two like weird dog things chained to him and he's like (laughs) and i was like oh i think we found our villain um right (laughs) 
Can I just say, and this is most of Rankin and Bass's stuff really feels like it should be airbrushed on the side of a van in the 70s. Like it has a, <laughs> it, it's very, has a black light um, uh, structure to it. You know, it feels, it's it's over the top, the grotesque. There's um, Omadon, who's our James Earl Jones bad guy, has a real BDSM quality to him as he wears his kind of like hood and his like, st- he's hunchbacked and a snarled, he's got fangs sticking up. He's got that great voice, and I, I just, I just watched it. I watched this for him yeah. more than anything else because his lines and like Carolinus is like, I summoned my four brothers, which are Solaris of the sea and stars, and Lotajal of the wisdom, and of course, <laughs> Omadon, who is um, the seducer of darkness and the devil's domain and you're like wow (laughs) yeah like oh boy he was like ruler of hades and all things dark i was like do we want to invite him like is that a good (laughs) idea do we want to do some security checks on the way in maybe because the other two seem fine even his dragon you know how they're pets they always go to the pet store and they're like um do you have anything with like glowing red eyes and like talons and they're like this way this way and they take them to the like evil pet for your dark deeds section and you're like oh my god amazing and it's like do you want a terrifying raven that like spits poison do you want like a horse that looks like a skeleton um do you have any dragons yeah we got dragons there's this lovely pink one or this nice green one with like a wig on him and he's like, no, I'm the evil one. I need something a bit more intense. And they're like, how about red? And he's like, that 100% goes with my aesthetic. Sign me up. And he literally turns up and you're like, that man has not very good intentions. I don't think right. we should be talking to him on a like, like that's, no, he's bad. Like <laughs> he doesn't get an opinion. What I love too is there's rules to magic and it's like, um, why would we invite like they literally say why would we invite him it's like well the temple of all antiquity says that in order for us the four brothers to meet it has to be the four brothers we can't just have three brothers and just mention it you know and it's like he's he's the bad guy now Lotajal the our, our Asian brother is the is the brother of wisdom and light and you've got you know sort of the same side of that coin of course as we've got Omadan who's the brother of darkness and then you have a brother of the heavens and the depths and you have Carolinas who's very much the the wizard of the earth and so yeah. you're kind of getting like the you know, elements you've got you yeah know. you've got your elements it's almost like um sort of like a vertical hierarchy where you've got the heavens and the sky and the land and the ocean and then evil. Yeah, yeah, literally. I think at one point he literally says like the realm of Hades or something. Um, the devil's his devil's domain. Devil's domain. He, he is he like... is the lord of the devil's domain. I was like, wow. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and I love that. I love it when um Home Alone is the best thing for this, but I love it when movies take the time to be like, you may think this would be a bad idea. But here's one sentence as to why it's not. Like, here's why we have to do this. Because obviously we have to do this because of the plot. But we're going to take the time to just give you a small reason as to why we're not stupid and we have to do this. Um, so I did really appreciate that. And and the way that they were like, we can't go on the quest. Other people have to go on the quest. And it's like, fine. The yeah. Tree of Antiquity. The Burning Bush of God. Like, what is... What 
is that about? What, what, like, I didn't really understand that. Is that meant to be, like, a heavenly power? Is it meant to be the source, like, the Earth's core? Is it meant to be... Oh, what is it? I think Carolinus is a druid. I think the idea is that he is he is a member of the druid tradition without specifically saying so. And since trees play, especially the oak, um, plays such an important part in that sort of ritual... I think that's sort of where we're we're just drawing analogies, really more analogs, yeah. really so more than anything else. Do they all else. have their own version of the tree of antiquity that they can go and chat to when they need some advice? Because it felt like they all needed to consult the one earthbound piece of knowledge, and he would like message back and be like, "Oh, so the tree told me this." And they were like, oh, okay, cool. None of them was ever like, well, the conch of antiquity told me this, and the <laughs> you know the like demon person of antiquity told me that. I don't know. Um, I, I think one of the things, too, is these four characters exist in all times at once. They frequently will mention the future, the past, and the present as if it is the present. Because they're, they're going to say, oh, he's going to be the one who does this. You know, man will be inspired by this and call it radio and television. They're like, how do you know? Oh, I mean, it's it's perfect. Like they, Yeah. Time, time is very much fluid in this. Um, you know, that's why you have a limpid pool of time, and you can take your silver acorns and toss it in there. Um, it's so cool. It's so cool. It's so cool. Um, <laughs> you know, after after five hundred years or eight hundred years or whatever it is, I should know a limpid pool of time when I see one. <laughs> um, there's so many great quotes that you could use in this. Um, I uh, I love this just for Omadon's quotes. Uh, the stuff that he says in my brain, I wish I could sound like James Earl Jones. Oh my God. Um, just in general, um, because you know no one was having as much fun as he was oh, yeah. in the in the recording booth when he gets to see, like, <clears throat> can you not feel the world turning in my direction already? You know, it's kind of a thing. You're just like, <laughs> it's so much fun. <laughs> yeah, he gets, it's so, oh, I know. He's just chewing the scenery in this yeah. so much. And it's just But it really works, laugh. I think. Because we're, you know, we're already on board with like a man has melded with a dragon. And we're having some flying lessons. It's like, while we're here, we may as well cut to him in his castle where he's like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm evil. Yeah, he might as well be a, a kind of a Jabba the Hutt-esque character. It's kind of surprising <laughs> that he doesn't have a minion that's like chattering and laughing with him. But he's got the giant. He's, and, and James Earl Jones voices both uh, Omadon and Briox, his his dragon. So he's doing both voices. So he's just changing it slightly because it's essentially the dragons are their familiars. Oh my Meanwhile, God. Uh, the actor who's doing Carolinus is not doing the voice no. of the dragons. No, 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 no. Um, really funny little touch that Carolinus has. Um, Carolinus, oh my God, has um, like an ul- like a stomach ulcer. And Pete is just like, Which is, have some milk. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, but Alas, Gorbash has eaten every dragon within the last 20 yeah. miles. Oh, father, waste a little magic. Oh, it's so lovely. Like, the dialogue is so great. Um, I, yeah. Just, like, just to sort of go back to Melisande and what she gets up to, she sort of goes into, like, a coma slumber where she's basically like 
the news reporter on what the quest are up to. Like she's, she's doing nice. updates. <laughs> but, but what I love is Carolinas did not realize that this is a power she had. Um, Solaris had to like send a magical. It's like I don't understand why magic's not working. Oh, it's not that my magic's not working. It's that my brother is interrupting the broadcast to. <laughs> We interrupt this broadcast to remind you that you're... And remember, too, it's not his daughter. It's his adopted daughter, which this is the first time I've really been inspired. I kind of wanted to read the book because she, at one point in time, when she has the sand mercs crawl into her brain, accuses him of killing her parents. And I'm like, I want to know more about that tasty little tidbit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, That was so bizarre. And it was never really explained. Um and I don't know where, because The Dragon and George is the 1976 fantasy novel it sort of gets its main shebang from, the plot-wise. And I don't know if she's a character in that and if they explain. And, like, if it's a misunderstanding on her part or if, like, he genuinely did kill she's her. She's got the brain fever. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, like, wouldn't that be great if he was like, I can see into the future and I know that I'm going to need you. But in order to need you, I'm going to need to get rid of your parents. And so for the greater good, I'm going to need to kill them. Maybe that's, maybe that's too much for, like, kids. But, like... But that's exactly how I would have written yeah. it if I were writing this story. <laughs> exactly. I, I love a good... I gotta like, live, uh, love a good manipulative wizard. Yeah. Where no one's... It's like, well, Omadon wants progress, right? Like, Omadon wants... As humanity who wants our technology, Omadon's really our guy. Like This is the thing. Know. It's it's really funny whenever they have this industry versus magic thing because you're technically like, Omadon would be right behind the new iPhone. He'd be like, what's up, kids? Take TikTok. It would be an O-phone, though, at that point in time. <laughs> no um, whereas, like, you know, I don't think us as a society, I mean, I can't speak for everyone, but... I think we're we're trying to get closer to that, and the the pandemic has weirdly helped. Um, trying to get closer to that one with nature, more magic in our lives, more time to just sort of like reflect and be. Um, but you're right. Like we we watch these things when we're kids, and then you grow up into the real world, and you realize that you're in Omadon's land, you're in Saruman's land. Yeah. And technology. Yeah, they won. won. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're like. Yeah, technology. Bummer. Technology won. Yeah, but then you're not. Like, wasn't bummer, there to work it because you're yeah. able to recover a VHS copy of a movie that's been uploaded onto the internet in brilliant like ability, and you can watch it at any time of day as long as you have a Wi-Fi connection. And you're like, maybe technology isn't so bad. But then you're also like, I would still like a unicorn though. Yes, or a manticore, or or something. Not yeah, a manticore that would be terrifying. <laughs> Oh, but come on, a smile within a smile within a smile. Mm. Love it. No. No, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> I wouldn't have to worry about my neighbors. Actually, I love my neighbors. They're great. <laughs> um, there's a, I mean, this has got some neat creature effects in it. All the baddies are, are grotesque. Though mm. I will say that all the mundane um, characters are also grotesque. All the human beings, uh, none of which are, are female, all the male human beings are, are real not none of them are lookers. Let's put it yeah, that way. Yeah, the main character, the main human, has such a bland face with like a weird nose, and I just kept looking at him like, "You were the design that they went with. Were they like <laughs> rushed for time? Did they like 
base you on someone that then they hated and like changed like what is like and I like I know previously we've had thing is we we've had like Bilbo and Frodo as as heroes before who were meant to look a bit um curious but Aragon always looked like he was meant to be hot and so did Prince the prince from the last unicorn so it's really weird that he here looks so unfinished he's a nerd yeah he's a nerd and that's the thing too is he's he's a nerd in in, in many ways um he's not an interesting character until he becomes a dragon it's very true i mean and and it's also we don't love him for his looks mm. melisande doesn't choose him because he's handsome uh she chooses him because she the plot needs her to um exactly but, like genuinely why does she choose him because she literally is introduced to him with like oh you're the one that my guardian said will save us all and then he does save them all and she's like perfect that one please and it's like do you even know him she's like no no no, no. it's care. worse than that it's worse than that because they hook up that very night oh my god because because when when the spell combines the two of them because you know, like they're 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 snuggling up outside the lake when Brioch comes and and steals him, and the spell combines them. It's like, Gorbash, Gorbash. She's like, what, Melisande? Why are you acting like you don't know me? We kissed, and she's like, oh, Peter. Uh, and she thinks he's Sir Peter. Like immediately, Carolinus is like, hey, listen, uh, I'm going to call you Sir Peter, uh, just because you know. That's a... And 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 Peter looks at Carolina and goes, "She's everything I want in a woman." And it's like you haven't talked to her L- yet, literally, dude. She hasn't said you a have... fucking word to you. Yeah, yet. she hasn't said a word. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. it's just she's just there <laughs> to be moved around, which is a shame. But she's a psychic princess, a magic psychic princess, which I really feel could because then she's like. I'm a magic psychic princess that's clearly fairly integral to this realm. At least, like, I would be, as one of the only two women in this realm, a really cool inspiration for humanity to perhaps write more about women. And then she's like, nah, fuck them. I'm gonna go to Earth. I'm gonna do a... What is she even doing? What am I thinking of? Ella Enchanted? Is it where she jumps to the the Disney realm into the... Oh yeah, Enchanted. Yeah, I'm doing an Enchanted where I've decided and Ellen Enchanted, to just like. Enchanted. Still, two great movies though, um, where <laughs> she's like, "I'm gonna stay here now. I'm gonna go hang out with him." And it's like, think about that for a second. It's like the last Starfighter all over again. She's like, "I'm." I can't remember if she does go with him in the end. I think she does. And it's like. You have no idea what it's going to be like. You have no idea what your job is going to be. You have no idea how you're going to make an income. You have no idea that those things are even important and are going to be for your literal survival. Um, Your complete way of life is going to be upended. So you get to spend time with this person who may leave you in five years. Like, I doubt anyone leaves anyone in the magic realm. It's true. It's true. Um, I mean, you know, the idea that that we don't have to think about that as children watching that because <laughs> it is a, a it's a happily ever after story, and and so hopefully that continues into the narrative. But I, yeah, I I do as an adult watch this and went, 
oh, she is going to be so unhappy when she leaves that pawn shop and and gets stuck in traffic for 30 minutes on their way to the apartment that he lives in with with their neighbors who are like they can hear everything happening on the other side of the Literally. wall and he's gonna have expectations of her that she probably doesn't even know is a thing um oh yeah like hey i'm sorry we don't know how labor is handled without the use of magic because i imagine that uh, magic assisted childbirth is probably a lot more preferable to the <laughs> is she even comfortable yeah. having sex like do we know that like i don't think it <laughs> I mean, you know, that that's a conversation that that really, if we start looking, like, think about the, the Little Mermaid, <laughs> or like, does who even knows if magical anatomy uh, even even can be combined? She isn't matter. is not a human. Yeah. We don't know if she's a human or not. But it also doesn't matter in the context of this story it because does to me. you know, well, I and it does to me too. But like, <laughs> you know. As a, and that's one of the things where it's like, yeah, as adults, we can't help but think of that kind of stuff. But it's kids, like... Yeah, kids we are just get... like, a prize. Well done. For yes. you. You get a nice trophy <laughs> and a woman. I don't remember if she... I think... Is she one of the game pieces? She's not one yeah, of the game she pieces. Is. She is in, in the original thing, which is really terrifying. Which is why it's, it's like... even worse when he's like... I made her. Like, it's not your fault yeah. that she doesn't love you, Knight. She loves me because yeah. I literally invented her and I made her everything I love in a woman, a.k.a. mute, tall, blonde, yeah. hot. And it's like, mm, you're a real charmer, aren't you? <laughs> I did like that he wore glasses and I knew that was to go along with his, like, nerd persona. But then I didn't like how he essentially groomed a princess into leaving her safe hometown and family and friends for a guy she's known half an hour that's the problem <laughs> with all fairy tales when you have your fairy tale princess who meets their prince and they, they're going not, to live happier that's the trouble like when you look into fairy tales and i'm being pedantic now but like when you look into fairy i'm sorry tales, i was refer- i should say yeah. disney fairy tales yeah that's what i meant to say it was disney fairy tales the adaptation like yeah but like if you actually look into a lot of folklore and ancient stuff there's really cool women and characters and scenarios and stuff that have just been pushed down because of patriarchal societies and stuff and I think it's just time that we started resurrecting cool, strong people that are doing shit for their own shit. Like, you never... Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you'll correct me immediately, and I hope you do, but I cannot think of a fairy tale or thing where it's like, the whole story is that a woman is doing something with the help of a bunch of other women, and then nobody marries at the end. This is women. Are we talking about classic um, classic folklore anything, and fairy tales? Anything at all. I- um, I feel like there is something, and it might be the Native American folklore, but I, I'll give you. I'll have to look through my books. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have, I've, I've got. I don't think you're going to find anything out of the Andrew Lang collection no. uh, or Grimm that falls along those lines. No. Um, but no, and you're, you're right. Actually, nothing that's been adapted adapted into any sort of modern media. The closest we're getting is Elsa, but we still have to have Anna's subplot of getting married and stuff. Um, well, I mean, with I mean, with brave marriages on the table, and the plot of that is it's about a, a, a two women's relationships true. with each other. Um, no one gets married, and she's you know that's true. I forgot about brave, and and no one it thinks less of her because of that. Mm-hmm. And that's I mean, such a 
a great film. And actually, another reason to love Brave is it brings the terror back into children's programming because the devil bear in that who was who was a man who was transformed an evil man who was transformed specifically Which right is so scary um so you've got the she bears who are you're rooting for and the evil male demon bear now it's a it's a great film but like i went and saw it opening night um one of the only times i can say i've done that with a disney film because uh, i'm v- very anti-disney in general mm, um fun. but uh the screams from the children was mm, so, so delicious so delicious <laughs> yeah, so and i was like that's what i want your screams yeah. yes that's so good because obviously i was quite a lot older when that came out so i didn't even consider but it's like it's like the cousin of the bear from fox and the hound which was always petrifying mm. um so i'm glad that and i made children scream i'll go one more moana um uh moana has does i don't believe ends it's so it's a it's a it's oh, women yeah. it's the grandmother assists the granddaughter who then helps the female essence of an island heal itself uh there is no love interest at all yeah 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 you're right you're right you're right you're right you're right i think i just if maui was a woman oh my god yes there that, would like, be, that's what i want yeah do you know what i mean like i want something I that see. doesn't feel the need and brave you're absolutely right brave does it yeah. Um, that doesn't feel the need to introduce a man. Yeah. I think Brave is the closest thing you're going to get. Please yeah. correct me if I'm wrong. No, if I think anyone you, I who's think listening to right. this, um, because while we do have male characters, they are. Um, the purpose of the male characters is to highlight the fact that she doesn't need the male characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and while the mother's the mother is being motherly, and the, the, you know, the female characters are being motherly or sisterly, None of them are defined by that role, yeah, and none of them are limited by that role, which mm-hmm. is which is super important. Yeah. So no, I do need to rewatch Brave. Um, that is a good. Yeah, actually, kind of want to do that too now. Yeah. Actually. <laughs> Yay! Uh, any final thoughts on this? Uh, no, and I'll just kind of stress this too. Um, like a year or two after this came out, uh, and I started watching this on VHS. Uh, Saturday morning cartoons had a, a animated. Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. Oh yeah. Which, which you know, I was I, I was a big D and D nerd at the age of seven, which is when this came out. No, uh, no, this would have come out before then. So maybe this helped inspire me. I, I started playing Dungeons and Dragons when I was seven years old, um, and so this is one of those things where it was it, it was again very similar to what I I loved and inspired a lot of the games that I played early on, especially when I before I knew how to the, how the rules worked. Um, but have something like this and then to have like D&D, which did have um, two women uh, or I guess I mean, like in, in the adventures, mm-hmm. which was actually quite cool. Um, How many yeah. people in the quest altogether? In Dungeons and Dragons? Yeah. Oh, boy. I want to say seven in the group. Uh-huh, so two yeah, of them were women. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Well, <laughs> three if you include the unicorn. Oh. <laughs> But I will say, and I will say that this is the, also um, the D&D animated series was the first representation of a person of color uh, that I remember wow. seeing in animation on a regular series. Mm-hmm. I mean, As you know, like, like so. character. Yeah. That's really cool and really depressing. <laughs> oh, no. Horrible. I know. Horrible. And that's, and that's the thing is like, I, you know, I, I. I talk to a lot of the teens that I work with at the library back back when I actually could work with them in person. 
and we talk about representation in any form of media, you know, I, I just, I have to say it's, it's, it's come such a long way. Um, and it's still terrible, but it's like compared to when, when we were kids. Of course. Yeah. Um, slowly, and it's slowly like, getting there. It's so slow. And well, it feels like in the last five years or so, there's been this fantastic jump in representation mm-hmm. just across the board, not just as far as race or, or gender, but like, also, you know, you have game, uh, shows like Steven Universe where we're, we're kind of exploring um, uh, more complex issues. Um, I just it's so nice to see diversity. Yeah. yeah. You know, like... Absolutely. I, I've never had a problem finding representation yeah. <laughs> of myself uh, in anything. Um, you know, yeah. I am I am a blonde white guy. And it's that I've, though, isn't it? It's like, it's finding the character that you want to align your sensibilities with. And when you're given one character to inhabit absolutely everything about that gender, you're not given that opportunity. And, and no. it's very limiting. And I always obviously refer to women because I am, I am a woman, I'm she slash her. And that's what I... Uh, relate as and that's what I look for and that's what's important to me but obviously when we talk about this we of course mean all races all cultures all sexualities like all of those things are important all of those things are necessary if you're gonna have a team of people it needs to encompass all of those things because and and the bigger the better and the more the the more better for the child to be able to choose what kind of person they want to be and who they want to play in the playground and all of these important things and it is lovely that more so now that's happening and it's getting out there. And the way we get to that point is not just by throwing in these characters um, because we feel they ought to be there. It's by filling up the writer's room with those people and having their names. 100%. Yeah. Tokenism is, it's, it's, I mean, you know, tokenism is not the answer. You can't mm-hmm. just say, well, we included someone of color in, yeah. in, in this production. It's like, yes, but how are, how are they represented? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's like, congratulations. You, you know, you can find someone who looks like you, but it's exactly. And it's everything's so diverse as well. You can't just have like one person that encompasses that in the boardroom and like, feel like you've ticked a box either. It's like all these women will have different experiences. Um, walks of life, like, uh, they need their representation and the way to do that is just keeping your writer's room as diverse as possible and changing it up and like you know and it's not that we want to get rid of the white man it's that we just want a look in as well and like i think that gets that message gets distorted a lot where i mean it's on twitter which is like a garbage fire anyway but Yeah. Uh, twenty. Yeah. I mean, like, we are, we are. Sl- I mean, we're halfway out of the dark. Number. We're, we're maybe like a third of the way out of the dark. A quarter of the way out of the dark from from twenty twenty. And if I feel like, I don't know. I feel like I can breathe again. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, like, I I think the audience should know that we attempted to um, record first on inaugural day <laughs> and the inauguration. Yes. And it's like, <laughs> it's like, oh no, we really should watch we this historic watch event. It's Please. Be cathartic. <laughs> Thank. You thank so you much for coming on and giving me this wonderful movie that I now want to hunt down a DVD copy of. It's all on YouTube and it's also all on another like archive website that I watched it on. Um, but I want the DVD. I want the Blu-ray. Is there even a Blu-ray? You don't want the Blu-ray. Oh. So um, 
I have a copy that I bought off of eBay about 15 years ago, and it's just a it's you know a a, a photocopied dust jacket on there of, of like the old VHS copy yeah. and it's just a, it's a computer disc and I, it, it'll play I don't remember what the technical term is I'm tired um, it'll play on my DVD player because it's region free mm-hmm. uh, but the Blu-ray apparently and I know I was talking earlier about how not caring about aspect ratio apparently they cropped it in such a way that it's cut um, and so there's no special features there's nothing I did a little bit of research. Apparently, in 2015, they announced that they were going to they were start work on a live action version of Flight of Dragons. I read that, and then it got canceled. A lot of things got canceled. I I think right now, fantasy is not as popular as it was well, after Postal of the Rings. Well, no, uh, I think Postal of the Rings fantasy was having a heyday. I think it was when fucking Game of Thrones set itself on fire and threw itself down a hill <laughs> knocking everyone who had followed it so ardently over and as we picked ourselves up also now on fire and covered in shit we looked back at game of thrones and we were like you were the hope for the future you were you were bringing fantasy back and making it relevant you were taking what lord of the rings so kindly gave you and building on it but you didn't bother to finish the roof and now everything's collapsed i'm still very upset about it just like is it land's end no what's the what's the i've i've watched it but i'm not really that big of a fan what was what's the landing something landing what's the the, oh. the building that collapsed on everybody yeah, I think. the 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 like red keep in king's king, landing king's landing yeah. king's landing that was it just like that, we're picking ourselves out of the rubble, like, what were you thinking? How dare you? So I think if Game of Thrones had been a ve- as, as good as it started, perhaps people would have been considering fantasy films. But at the moment, they seem to just be vague cameos. They brought back Sharkboy and Lava Girl for a Netflix thing. They did sort of like Ready Player One type stuff. And like, it's just sort of there in the background being like, hey, oh. Here's your pitch. We just went through 2020 where everyone's like, science, pfft, science isn't a thing. Oh my God. So now we get to do, we get to actually root for science versus fantasy and, f- oh and fake news. Now's the perfect and you can, time to bring now's the perfect time. back. Oh my god. It's really interesting, and I don't think you can make a full adaptation from what I understand the book to be, but um, I think there's enough out there that you can pick ideas from um, that work. And, you know, if someone can pick up the King's Damocel and make Magic Sword Quest for Camelot, and someone else can pick up Notre Dame de Paris and make Disney's The Hunchback of Notre Dame, you can do whatever you want. (gasps) What did you just make I, a face of? Sorry, I, I I made that face because the just that year, those couple of years of Disney, which also led to Pocahontas, it just oh. Okay, so the Hunchback of Notre Dame is amazing, and I won't hear a word against it. I, I won't say a word against it. Okay, good. Um, but yeah, obviously Pocahontas is problematic to say the least. Downright insulting. Uh, very offensive. Poor, poor attempt. Not even an attempt, really. Just Jeffrey Katzenberg doing what he does best. B 
being shit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Someone's going to be listening to this podcast going, I just wanted to listen to my yeah, flight, of to flight of dragons. What? Why are you attacking everything that <laughs> I love? Why attacking Why can't I just be a white man? <laughs> <clears throat> I'd not met anyone that had um, heard of or talked about this movie before, so it was always on my list of, like, animations that I definitely need to see. Uh, and it would just keep getting pushed down for whatever reason while I was like, Kiraku instead. Um but yes, yeah, so I'm very. But you can't find it. Now. Yeah, I oh, think I'm that's so what glad. it is. It's really difficult to come across. As I say, it's on YouTube, but it's in on YouTube in like two minute segments. You know, where you're just like, oh, that's the uh, no, that's the worst. No, you can get it on DVD via whatever you know mm-hmm. platform you can get it, your DVDs on. I hear the the transfer on it's fine. There's nothing special about it. But if you just want to watch it on DVD, that it exists. Nice. Um, there is no soundtrack available uh, by itself. I have looked a couple of times. I mean, people have collected it. And you can listen to it on YouTube. But, mm-hmm. you know, you're not going to be able to buy a disc of it. Yeah. Nice. I had the laser disc of it at one point in time. Nice. Back in the day. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm that old. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I'm not going to lie. I don't know what a laser disc is. I was That's like. Fine. I'll take your word for gonna... that. <laughs> uh, it's the size of a uh, an LP. Oh, okay. It looked like a record, but it played movies. And then halfway through the movie, you had to eject it and flip it over onto the other side. It's it's essentially the predecessor to um, a DVD. Nice. Eh, sort of, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it had its moment in the same way that Betamax had its moment, uh, and Eight Tracks had their moment. You know, for a while, people were like, "This is su- clearly superior." <laughs> this is the future. Oh. This is the future. The future is here now. <laughs> I feel bad for VHSs. Oh, really the do. hipsters have have um, uh, really started collecting VHSs and mixtapes again. So nice. um, they're still there. Uh, you can st- the 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 used bookstore that I buy my movies and stuff from back in the day when I used to inhabit it. They still sell the Disney clamshells. So you know there are people. Uh, the libraries. A number of the libraries I've worked for have still had them because especially when our patrons in the more rural communities who who don't have dvd players or didn't at the time were still using vhs yeah, so no bad. they still they still have a place mm. they just take up so much space yeah i think that's what it is um but then so do dvds if you're switching to streaming you're suddenly like that's a whole wall in my house i can get back now and you're like but it's pretty <laughs> how will people know what movies I like <laughs> exactly how will people be able to judge me upon entering my house it's like my god you have a lot of David Cronenberg <laughs> yeah maybe I should leave uh... <laughs> <laughs> no no stay <laughs> <laughs> yay um, what would you like to plug um, I mean, Flight of Dragons sounds like a, a good thing to plug, but if you like Doctor Who and you like podcasts, um, then I have a podcast about Doctor Who and <laughs> television called Who and Company, where we invite guests that we know through Doctor Who. Um, so writers, actors, uh, directors of the show. And then we just talk about, you know, their works, Doctor Who and how they, their relationship with it. But we also, we, we have them bring a television program that isn't Doctor Who, and we talk about that because we know it, Doctor Who's not the end all and be all of their fandom. So we talk about, and we're, we're about to start our fifth season of that, and we've got some great guests lined up, and yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty nerdy, but it's also really chill. That's really cool that you get like actual people on. Yeah, That's yeah. Really cool. 
Well, you know, 2020 was a landmark year for guests on podcasts because they got nothing else to do. They weren't traveling anywhere. So they were really, I, I, I learned how to get in touch with agents and I talked to people and I was like, listen, do you want to do a podcast? Uh, we'll talk about, uh, we had one of our favorite companions from, from the classic series come on. She's like, you know what I really want to talk about? I want to talk about Stranger Things. And I'm like, let's talk about Stranger Things. Uh-huh. Season three had basically just come out. We sat and we talked about Stranger Things for 90 minutes. It was great. Like, and we, It's actually a fun one. I would recommend that one, especially if you're in the UK, because we discuss what a UK version of Stranger Things might be. Ooh. UK shows from the 80s that could be used because, you know, clearly Stranger Things are very much an American program um, as much as I love it. Uh, it was nice to get a different different approach by that. Yeah. So that was a fun one. That sounds really fun. That sounds really cool. Um, yeah, no, I'm definitely going to check that out. That sounds amazing. Yay! Thank you so much. This was so much fun. Uh, please come back on again. Um, well... Can I can I can I pitch an idea for a, a, an uh, another episode then? Yes. I would like to come on and talk about explorers from 1985. No one's done that. Um, I want to say Joaquin. I want to say one of the Phoenix Brothers, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. One of the Phoenix Brothers is in there. Um, uh, there's a, there's a couple of very famous uh, young actors before they became super famous. Um, but it's it's part of the kids on bikes. Uh, speaking of Stranger Things, it's part of the kids yeah. on bikes genre, which I have a real appreciation for, uh-huh. you know, all Goonies and Stand By Me and yeah. E.T. and all that stuff. Though I hate nice. E.T. But, um, I thought it that's... was more Flight of the Navigator because I've done that before. It's a little like it. it's a little of both. <laughs> oh, it's a shame. Uh, Flight of the Navigator was one that I, I enjoyed as a kid, but I haven't seen it since I was a child. Rewatch it uh, and let me know what you think. Yeah. But um, no, yeah. Explorers keeps coming up as like, uh, if you love this, you'll love that. And I've been poised, waiting for the person that's going to be like explorers um it means i'll be really interested to watch it because again like um briefly glancing at it i'm like that's not for me but often i'm proved wrong and i'm i haven't watched it in 20 years so i i yeah it'll be really fun it'll be a rediscovery i could come on and be like uh my new favorite movie hello um that's why i love it i can't i've been waiting for someone to pick it because i'm like I'm interested to see what that one's about. Um, well, there we go. So yeah, you're uh, you're scheduled in. I'll uh, be in touch about that. Um, but otherwise, thank you so much for coming on. Um, and we'll see you next time on Why This Film. Bye!